I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. Back in April 2020, while the world was in shock due to the rapidly escalating coronavirus pandemic, a new app launched onto the App Store. Within a month, Clubhouse was valued at nearly $100 million. The app gained quiet momentum for the rest of the year, attracting 600,000 invitation-only registered users by December. But it was in January this year that it suddenly became ubiquitous in digital circles after Elon Musk was interviewed on the platform. As tends to happen with these things, the social media gurus started flocking to Clubhouse and proclaiming it the next big thing. By the end of February, it had more than 10 million weekly active users, despite still being invite-only and despite not being available on Android devices. But while on the face of it, those predictions of Clubhouse having a massive future look pretty sound, there are plenty of commentators who have a different opinion. As I record this, the Wall Street Journal has just reported that the number of weekly active users fell a huge 21% during March. There have been widespread reports that the app's data protection practices are at best shady, at worst illegal under GDPR. The app has been heavily criticised for creating shadow profiles of people who have never even used it or in the contacts of existing users, while a software expert who reverse-engineered the app recently reported that the UI and the UX of the app inherently caused the data within it to be leaky. He said that a motivated individual could easily scrape user data from Clubhouse rooms. Data protection issues notwithstanding, however, Clubhouse sceptics cite the real-time nature of Clubhouse rooms as not only their appeal, but also their Achilles heel. While there is undoubtedly huge value in some content, much of it is all a bit meh, so users could soon become bored of listening to a live conversation that doesn't go anywhere. That will affect user retention, as it seems we're already witnessing, and people will perhaps go back to TikTok or Instagram for instant gratification, and podcasts for on-demand content that they can pick and choose, not just what to listen to, but when to listen to it. In today's show, we're going to unpack Clubhouse and look at it from both sides, and I have two guests with lots to say about it. On the more sceptical side, we have Gabrielle Lane-Peters a digital consultant who has worked on digital transformation with the likes of politicians, IBM and even NASA in her long career. Gabrielle says of Clubhouse that she's unconvinced. But we're going to kick off with someone who, quite possibly, is the first person to have a Clubhouse-related job title. My name is Nicole Medza-Salma. I work for an agency called Battenhall as Senior Clubhouse Manager. When Clubhouse arrived, essentially, in the UK uh, earlier this year, I joined and was besotted with it and spent way more time than I should have done on it, uh, as it is quite addictive. But yeah, I just thought it was a, a great, authentic way of communicating with people and build connections very quickly because there's nothing to hide behind. You can't edit what you're saying and your voice is all you have. So I thought it was a, a brilliant way of of just building those relationships, really. As a huge clubhouse advocate, Nicole sees two significant differences in the app to other social networks and finds it very addictive. I think the first thing is the fact that it's audio only, uh, which is appealing. 
I think as humans, we just like to hear other people and we love conversations. The second thing is, unlike most other social media channels, because it's live and it's immediate, there is no editing. So what you hear is what you get. If somebody claims to be an expert on something, but what they say doesn't back it up, then you can immediately tell that they are fake. Whereas with other platforms, there's a lot of gloss involved. There is no gloss on Clubhouse. You can't hide behind anything. It's very easy to just jump from one room to the other uh, and spend your whole day on Clubhouse if you're not careful. Even if you're not joining into rooms to talk, uh, just listening in, and because it's a bit more involved than radio, it's not just something you normally put on the background. You have the option to jump in and make your voice heard, which means if you are in a room about a topic that you either know a lot about or are passionate about, you will probably feel the need to chip in, which means you will click the hand raise button, you will click the microphone, you will get involved. The point Nicole raises of Clubhouse being an active network or activity rather than a passive one, combined with its real-time nature, is an issue for a lot of people. And I'd include myself in that. To take part in a room, I have to be prepared to give it my full attention, unlike podcasts, for example, which I can listen to while doing something else. It takes time to use Clubhouse, and that means it's in competition with other forms of on-demand streaming media. Here's Gabrielle. My main issues or questions about it are the live in real time aspect of it, which I think is interesting because do you actively listen, i.e. you have it on and you're concentrating on it as you would if you were listening to a webinar or an event, or do you inactively listen and have it on in the background as you would talk radio. There are, in fact, channels uh, and rooms where you just go in and there's someone playing music all day. Uh, There are some very popular clubs where it's essentially just musicians gigging and and riffing together. Um, So you do have that, and you can use it as radio if you want. There are also news shows. So there are rooms where people come in and discuss the news. So you could use that as background noise, as you would with the radio, with talk radio. But for me particularly, I find it hard to just listen into most rooms, if I am listening about a topic that actually interests me, to just listen passively and not get involved. It's not like a podcast in the sense that in a podcast, you expect not to be able to engage with it. So you will listen to it. You will digest it. You might actually share your thoughts about it on social media afterwards if you feel strongly about it, but you won't be able to engage immediately. Whereas with Clubhouse, that immediate engagement, which is one of the big advantages of it, can also be the drawback in this particular sense. It's actually quite a lot of brain power to consciously listen to something when you don't know what the agenda is and you don't know who the other people are in the room. It reminds me a little of the early days of unconference where you would walk around the building and drop into a room and whoever was talking might be really interesting and really helpful or add something or you might try to work out how do I actually back out of the room without anyone noticing me who has the time or the headspace to actually listen when I have seen some of these rooms going on for three four five hours real time is who's real time 
you know, are we talking about East Coast, West Coast in the States? Are we talking about Greenwich Mean Time? You know, it is still dividing people by geography and time zones. One of the major questions that I have about Clubhouse is whether there's a place for real time when we live in an on-demand world. With the likes of Netflix and Spotify and YouTube dominating our media consumption habits, once the novelty of real-time conversations has worn off, is there a long-term place for Clubhouse? Personally, I'm highly dubious about that. I've seen many people saying that discoverability is shockingly poor on Clubhouse, that the hallway, which is where you can see live rooms, is a game of luck to find either something interesting or even something you're searching for. The search is terrible. I still haven't worked out how you find interesting rooms and people to talk to on Clubhouse. But Nicole thinks it's a case of training the algorithm. The beginning can be a bit rocky because when you join, the first things that the algorithm shows you are mostly Bitcoin and billionaire clubs, uh, which obviously are not necessarily things that will fall under most people's area of interest or expertise. But with a bit of curating and essentially work to find your own tribe or the things that interest you, it becomes a much, much better experience. There will be moments when I will go on Clubhouse and I will scroll through the hallway and there will be nothing that I want to listen into. And then I'll just move on to something else. I actually have set rooms that I want to listen into, which I actually add to my calendar so I don't forget. And those I will make time to, to go to. But there is an element of if I have time or if I am at a loose end or if I am between particular tasks and I want to see what's going on or if I hear that a brand is doing something on Clubhouse and I want to listen in, then I will just surf uh, as I would probably TV at the end of the day when you're just looking for something to watch. One way around both the discoverability issue and the real-time issue is obviously for Clubhouse to allow rooms to be recorded natively. This is something that competitors, notably Twitter Spaces, are already working on, as Gabrielle points out. Twitter Spaces are going to allow the hosts and the speakers to download a transcript, which I think is very useful if you're going to quote people or people are going to dispute what was said. It's really good that there's going to be some sort of record of it somewhere. And it, that's only going to be available, I think, because it's still in the works, for a certain amount of time you know as long as twitter have a file on it you can download it but then after a time it will disappear but on the other hand if rooms could be recorded where's the real point of difference from anything else why would you bother tuning in in real time i think that's part of the appeal of it because either you're there or you're not uh, and if you miss out you know, you can feel sad about it, but there's nothing you can do about it. So it's just the way it is. It's ephemeral in nature. And that is a good thing um, because it also means that because there is no recording, people feel like they can be more themselves or they can be more open about certain things. Um, so, for example, there are clubs on Clubhouse which essentially work as support groups. So if you have issues or if you've gone through something and you just want to talk to people who have gone through similar things, you can do that in a fairly safe space. You know it's not going to be going anywhere else. Um, so it works essentially like a support group. So that can be quite appealing to, to a lot of people. And on the not recording front, 
the founders have already mentioned that uh, they are looking at it because it is a request from the creators that use the platform. So I don't know that it will be always a platform where things don't get recorded. I think, to be fair, especially because if you look at what Twitter spaces are doing and Facebook's potential competitor as well, and even Telegram's uh, competitor, all of them allow you to record it as a native feature. Uh, but I don't see the lack of recording as a bad thing. I, I actually see it as a good thing. Some of the debates that have started online around Clubhouse relate to whether it is a content platform or a social network. And you can make a strong argument that Clubhouse itself doesn't know this yet. You can think of this by comparing YouTube and Twitter. One is used mostly for content hosting, whereas the other is the place where we have networks and discuss that content. Clubhouse currently sits somewhere in the middle, and this may create dissonance with users and further affect retention. Right now, it's probably more of a social network, with users talking of serendipity and new connections. But inevitably, as more users join, existing networks will simply reform, which makes this difficult to scale. If I was going to have that sort of interaction, I have a network on Twitter already of trusted people, and I would build out from there. Because who wants to start building another network? And what is the point of duplicating your existing network on another platform? Because then you're just doing the echo chamber thing, aren't you? So are people going to use Clubhouse like, you know, an open chat or I'll eat, I'll eat pizza with you on a Friday afternoon. And if you turn up, you turn up. But it's a it's a anchor point of the week. Even people who aren't active on other social platforms will use Clubhouse and uh, get advantages from it. But even from just a, a business perspective as something, uh, and I have heard friends mention that, you go into a room about a topic that you might have an expertise in and you showcase that and people will find you on other platforms because they want to take that conversation further, because they want your help with something. So as a way of asserting your authority or showing your expertise, Clubhouse works better than most of the other platforms because on LinkedIn, there's so much noise and there's so many people and you don't really know if someone who writes that they are great at something on LinkedIn is really great at something. Whereas on Clubhouse, if you're talking about someone who you know is an expert on AI and you are chatting to them about AI and they say all the right things and they showcase their expertise, you know that they're the real deal. So in that respect, Clubhouse almost works as social proof of anything that you're claiming on all of the other social networks. Building a personal brand or showcasing expertise do seem like good use cases for Clubhouse. But currently, there are a lot of very noisy users who you've probably seen elsewhere and who arguably demonstrate a certain level of, let's say, narcissism. So, so mentioning no names, because obviously I, I wouldn't, but on another private messaging platform, there was a discussion going on about what do you think about Clubhouse? And somebody said, well, you know, the egos are there already. And they weren't talking about Elon Musk, who, who seemed to be broadcasting 24-7. And everybody who replied mentioned three names. So, you know... That's not an attractive part of the platform. Aside from personal use, however, 
Are there opportunities for brands on Clubhouse? I don't know if you've seen this, but one of the most interesting um, uses from a brand I've seen so far was uh, Pedigree, the dog food company. Uh, they've hosted a room in partnership with a mental health advocate where they were talking about the benefits of pets in mental well-being. But the way they did it was they had lots of different profiles created for dogs that are up for adoption. So if you went into the room, you'd see 12 different profiles of dogs. And if you clicked on the profiles, you would see all the details of the dogs and how to get in touch with someone to adopt them. So you can essentially use the platform not to sell the product because arguably you can say nobody's going to go on Clubhouse to buy dog food, um, but to actually raise your profile and do something good and get your brand associated with something that is important to you. So I think there's plenty of opportunities for brands to do things like that, which are interesting and unique, and you wouldn't be able to do it on, on other platforms, not in the same way. One of the questions I'm asked most often when I run training sessions on social media marketing is how best to publish, monitor and analyse social profiles. Without the right software, it's a time-consuming job, especially when we're all doing so many other things as part of our job roles. About 10 years ago, I discovered Agorapulse, an all-in-one solution to social media management, and I've used it and recommended it to clients ever since. So I'm delighted to offer listeners of Digital Download a one-month trial of Agorapulse for free. Head to agorapulse.com forward slash digital download to sign up and then revel in all that spare time you just created. It would be remiss of me when discussing Clubhouse not to address the data privacy issues I mentioned at the start of the show. The current process where you have to sign up with your contacts is, to say the least, concerning. Not everyone is digitally savvy and not everyone will give that a second glance. But giving away details at the drop of a hat to something you've never even used is never advisable. Gabrielle has worked in the area of online privacy and this concerns her. It does worry me as to all the data, where is it going, how much are they keeping? You know, if, if somebody else is allowing access to their address book, does that mean I have a personal email and I have a couple of public emails? I don't really want that information on a database somewhere without somebody asking me. Um, I've had issues before with security and I've had threats on Twitter before. So it, I'm, although I seem quite open, there are some things that I do want to keep to myself. And part of that is being a woman who travels on her own. It's all out there. And I don't think it should be out there. You know, I've done a lot of work in politics and with politicians in the past. And when the last president was the whole hoo-ha about him being banned from Twitter, I noticed a lot of chatter in far-right rooms discussing things. And what worried me about that was, obviously, if I've got a black and white photo, people don't know whether I'm a brown girl or not. But I did get some questions like, what are you doing here? So privacy and moderation, you know, whether that's far right or far left. But that is worrying as well. It's the Wild West in some ways. And that is one of the reasons that I actually did put a black and white photo up because I'm brown enough for people not to quite know in a black and white photo. So I'm not hiding anything, 
but after a couple of incidents when I was, and I, I'm interested in American politics and what's going on. And so I, I wanted to listen to people who talk about these things and journalists and stuff, but to actually be confronted, like, who are you? What, what, what are you contributing here? And me just saying, well, I'm interested and I'm, I'm trying to find out what's going on, lay of the land, because as soon as I speak, they hear an English accent. So, you know, that's worrying. Now, you can, of course, argue that such groups and prejudices exist not only on other social networks, but all over the internet. And you can also argue that if you listen into a far-right conversation on Clubhouse, then what do you expect? But this goes back to the recording point, not to mention that actual live conversation is a whole lot more personal than comments typed on Facebook. Moderation must be addressed by Clubhouse. Clubhouse also has lots of competition. As well as standalone apps like Fireside and Swell, Twitter Spaces and Telegram already support group audio rooms, and Facebook has announced it will soon be launching its own version. So, taking all of this into account, what does Clubhouse offer that others don't? What I find that Clubhouse excels at is building communities. So, you can essentially buy um, creating something that you're passionate about or a topic that is interesting to you or you have expertise in, you can create a club or you can host regular rooms. And that means that you will create a community around you of people who are interested in that or think similarly or share those uh, ideas. Whereas with Twitter, it's not necessarily the case. It's not community-led. It's more personality-led or interest, I guess, to a certain extent, whether that person says stuff that you agree with or disagree with and want to essentially have a say on. Um, so that community aspect of, of Clubhouse, for me, is what makes it stand out. All of the other platforms are already doing something else, and they are bundling audio as an add-on because Clubhouse is doing so well. So it's not built for it, whereas Clubhouse is built for it. And with most things in life, if you do something specifically for a particular purpose, it's more likely to do it better than if you have something that can be used for 10 different things. I like to give the example of takeaway places. If you want an Indian you know, meal, a curry, you're more likely to find a good curry from a restaurant that only does curry than from a restaurant that does curry, fish and chips and burgers. It's a lovely analogy. I'll give Nicole that. But one question still bugs me, which is whether social audio as a concept is a feature rather than a platform. It's certainly an interesting new format that, as a podcaster, has been on my mind for quite a while. I was part of the beta testing group for ListenApp a couple of years ago, an app that enables podcast listeners to leave audio comments on shows. It was a great idea, but development seemed to stall. So I'm firmly behind social audio. But I personally see it as more of something to enhance an existing community. And Gabrielle agrees. I, th I think as a feature, bolted on to something else, um, and the way Twitter Spaces is doing it. So I've, I've listened to or taken part in a couple of Twitter Spaces that Bruce Daisley's done recently. And they were timed they were only going to be for an hour or less you knew what the subject was he was very good at keeping people tight to the subject he did invite people on you know you could put your hand up to speak 
and and I found a lot of value in it. So I think it's the real life, live time thing that might be an issue. I think if you know, if, if it becomes appointment, then that might be different. Having used Twitter spaces, you can see who's on the platform and in that space. And there's if it's 20 or 200, you can see photos and avatars revolving as people sort of speak or ask to speak or, or whatever. Or if you're connected with them, I'm not sure how the algorithm works. But then you can click on them and see their bio and what they've been talking about. So you think, oh, that, they might be interesting to follow or connect with or ask a question of. So that adds value to me rather than takes away value, time, space, whatever it happens to be. Not surprisingly, though, Nicole disagrees with this and sees a huge future for Clubhouse. You make time for webinars, you make time for reading things, you do make time for the things that matter to you and are of interest to you. So if this is something that is relevant enough, or something that you are invested in, you will make time for it. We have to remember that Clubhouse is still on beta. It's only available on iPhones, which means only about 15 to 20% of the population in the world actually has access to it. Uh, The majority of people use Android. And once they discover it, there's going to be almost like a second renaissance of Clubhouse because it's going to be a much bigger audience finding it out for the first time. And of course, there's going to be people who are there who are going to continue to do what they do, but there's going to be so many new people on it, discovering new uses, new ways of doing things on Clubhouse, new new ways of exploring the platform and taking advantage of the features and doing things a bit differently. So there's definitely a lot of potential for more creative uses and more interesting uses. And I think that's something that uh, the founders mention on a regular basis as well on their town halls. Um, they are always uh, keen to get people and uh, see how people essentially explore the use cases for the platform that they didn't even think about themselves. Um, so I think that's what's going to be interesting and exciting to look forward to once it gets opened up to the Android community, which hopefully will happen soon. One thing is for certain, and that's that the next year is as much of an unknown as the last year was. We saw digital tools like Zoom and Slack become workplace mainstays during 2020. So who's to say that Clubhouse doesn't have the legs to survive and to thrive in 2021? But there are undoubted issues it has to overcome, not least of which is what happens when we start to adopt more normal working practices. I'll leave the last word to Gabrielle. I come back to this pandemic effect because at the moment there is a literal captive audience. You know, people are working from home and is it replacing that workplace noise and chatter or having the radio on in the background? And so when people are either made made the decision to work from home certain hours of the week or they're back in a workplace how are they going to fit this in? What What's dropping from their schedule? Are they going to stop listening to podcasts, reading? How does it affect your productivity and focus? So I think that is a lot of a lot of it is is that connecting with people while we're all pretty disconnected. And what happens when we start making those connections again? And if people start going back to workplaces, I think that they'll be doing this 
actively like they will go in for a reason they will call a meeting for a reason with an agenda and you will be seeing people because you want to or need to and people will try to use their time more effectively I think that's going to be one of the takeaways in the past year so where does it fit in many thanks to Gabrielle and Nicole for their time look them both up on Twitter You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.